Romans 6, 12 to 14. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. Let's pray together. Holy Father, these these words are true. We know they're true because it's your word and every word of scripture is true. And that means that sin is not our master. We are not slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness and slaves to you. Help us to understand what you meant when you said that and help us to live accordingly. In Christ's name, amen. All right, well, let me just remind you where we were last week. We, uh, we opened with a question. Paul opens Romans 6 with a question. It's a rhetorical question. He asks, if grace is free then what is the motivation for godliness, right? Who cares how we act if grace is free and all of our sins are forgiven? And the answer that Paul gave to that question is that, well, the fact that you're even asking that question shows me that you have missed the point. You have completely misunderstood what happens when the Spirit of God regenerates your heart and when you receive the gift of salvation by grace through faith, because when that happens, a death occurs, you die, your old self is crucified with Christ, you are buried with Christ, and you are raised again with Christ to newness of life, united with him in both his death and in his resurrection. Now the implications of that are many. We talked about two of them from the text last week. Number one, if that is true, that we are dead and raised again in newness of life with Christ, then sin no longer has dominion over us. Maybe our old self, that was true, but our new self, united with Christ, is not enslaved to sin. Sin is not our master, but Jesus is. And the second implication was that because we have died and been raised again with Christ, we are united with him, we are no longer under the tyranny of death. We still die, to be sure, but death is a defeated enemy. And death doesn't reign over us, and in fact, death is a doorway into eternal life. Those truths have a major impact on our motivation for living lives that are righteous. Christians are not motivated to live godly lives in a desire to earn our salvation, as if God was working on a wage system. He is not. The Bible is crystal clear on this point. Your good works, good as they are, your good works contribute nothing to your salvation. The only thing you did contribute to your salvation, the only thing that you contributed was the sin that needed to be forgiven. That's what you pitched in. So our desire to live righteously is not motivated by a desire to pitch in for our salvation. It's not a desire to pay God back for the gift that we've received. God's grace is not a loan. It is a gift. So what then is our motivation to put sin to death and to live righteously? Well, it comes from the fact that we have been united with Christ in his death and resurrection. We, therefore, because of that union with Christ, we love righteousness because he loves righteousness. 
Right? We're in sync with him now because we've been united with him. We desire to see God glorified in our lives and in our church because he values that. And his values have become our values. Now, we actually enjoy obeying the Lord. We don't have to be paid to obey the Lord. We don't have to be coerced to obey the Lord. We enjoy obeying the Lord. It's, it's not a curse. It's a blessing. Our affections have been entirely reordered because we've been made a new creation in Jesus Christ. And so now it is our joy to walk in his ways. That's the path we want to walk. So this morning we're going to talk about how we can live that out in real time. And before we do, we just need to remind ourselves of the definition of two essential words Because our understanding of Romans 6, and actually our understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and actually our understanding of the whole Bible, and our understanding of the whole Christian life, depends on having a right understanding of these two words. We must know what these two words mean. They're kind of big words, they're theological words, but they're important words. Justification and sanctification. We need to know what those two words mean, and how they're different, or we will be confused about what the Christian life means is all about, right? So here we go. Let's remind ourselves what those words mean. Justification refers to the moment when God forgives our sin and declares us to be righteous in his sight. Justification. Sins forgiven, declared righteous. Justification happens the moment a person repents of their sins, believes in the Lord Jesus for their salvation. At that moment, God considers that person forgiven, and clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There's nothing anyone can do to earn that. It is a free gift, and it is received by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 makes that point crystal clear. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. It is not the result of works, so that no one may boast. That's justification. There are not levels of justification, You cannot be more justified than someone else. You've never met someone that's more justified than you are. It's all or nothing. You're justified or you're not. It's it's, it's like being pregnant or being married. There are not levels, right? Either you are or you are not. If you are justified before God right now, that means your heart has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. You have repented of your sins. You have trusted in Christ for your salvation. If that describes you, then you will never be more justified than you are right now at this moment. Even in heaven, when you die and enter into the presence of God and are removed entirely from the presence of sin, you will not be more justified than you are right now at this moment. That's justification. I hope that's clear. It's an important point. Okay, then what is sanctification? Sanctification is a process. There are levels. Sanctification is the process of becoming more and more like Jesus and less and less like our old sinful selves. It is the process of growing in godliness. That's sanctification. Unlike justification, which is a one-time event, sanctification is a process. Sometimes it's referred to as progressive sanctification. We grow, we progress in our sanctification. After we've been justified, 
We grow in godliness. We grow in our likeness to Jesus. We look and smell more like Jesus as we learn to walk by the Spirit and to not gratify the desires of the flesh. 2 Peter 3.18, wonderful verse, tells us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To grow in it. Paul tells us to press on, to bear fruit, to put sin to death, to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. All of those commands relate to our sanctification, our continual growth in godliness. And the reason that it's so important for us to understand the difference between these two terms is because there's an essential order here. Justification happens first. Always, by definition, must happen first. Sanctification flows out of that. Our natural tendency is to flip that. We skip over justification. We land on sanctification. We think that our good works are somehow positioning us to receive justification or contributing to our justification. That's backwards. But we're all tempted to do that because we're pragmatists at heart, right? God, just give me the list. Tell me what to do. Tell me what I need to do in order to make you happy. That is how most people try to approach God. Tell me what to do and I'll do it and then you'll be happy. The basic assumption there is that if, well, if I'm just good enough, if I just keep the rules enough, well, then God will like me and God will accept me. But the Bible says that any attempt at sanctification, keeping the rules, growth and godliness, apart from justification, leads to condemnation. Your good works, apart from God's grace, count for nothing. I know that's discouraging. I know that's hard to hear. I know that's not nice for our egos, but it's a fact. Your good works, good stuff you do, apart from God's grace, counts for nothing. That was the whole problem with the Jewish people at the time Paul's writing Romans. Right? If, you, if you're open to Romans 6, you could just flip ahead three chapters to Romans 9, and you'll read this. It says, Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Do you follow that? Israel pursued the right law, the law that would lead to righteousness, but they didn't succeed. Why? He asks. Because they didn't pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. That was the problem. They had a good law, and they were pursuing it. But they failed to achieve it. Why? Because they were pursuing it in their own effort by works instead of pursuing it by faith. They got sanctification and justification mixed up in their minds. Paul is saying that Israel tried to leap over justification and land on sanctification as if they could somehow keep the law so well that they would earn or contribute to their salvation. And the result was condemnation. And the reason, reason I'm talking about all this now is because we're about to talk about how we can pursue righteousness, how we can put sin to death in our own lives. That's sanctification. But if we're going to talk about sanctification, we need to be very clear about the fact that sanctification happens after justification. And if you have not repented of your sin and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, then pursuing good works 
in your life, trying to do the right thing, trying to be a good person, trying to obey the law, will do nothing for you. Because salvation is the free gift of God and it is not a result of works so that no one may boast. I hope that's clear in our minds. I hope that's clear in everyone's mind here this morning. If it's not, if that's confusing, if that's not clear, don't listen to the rest of this sermon. It won't help you. It will only confuse you. You'll hear, the rest of this sermon, you're going to hear me saying, work hard, pursue righteousness, follow the law, find joy in obedience. All of that is true. It is only true for people who have received the free gift of salvation by grace. Okay? If you haven't, then all I'm, all I'm going to say is just law and law and law. And the law, apart from grace, condemns. We don't want that. So we have to have our hands firmly grasping grace. And then we can talk about the law, because the law is good. But the law is only good for us once we receive the grace. Okay, I hope that's clear. Uh, I'll, I'll return now to the question that we ended with last time. If we are united with Christ in his death and resurrection, therefore sin has no dominion over us. We're no longer slaves to sin. Why is it sometimes so hard to live that out? And how can we learn to stand up to sin and put sin to death and live righteously? I think the middle part of Romans 6 is designed to help us with that. I'll, maybe I'll just uh, read it again. It's just a few verses, and it, and it speaks directly to this. Paul says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members, the members of your body, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as someone who has been brought from death to life and present your members, the members of your body, to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. Okay, so we're talking about sanctification, the process that we become more like Jesus. Let me, let me try to start this conversation by answering a question that comes up a lot when we talk about sanctification. The question is this, who's doing the sanctifying? Is it the Holy Spirit at work in me, or is it me working hard to become godly? And here's my answer to that question. Both the Spirit of God and you are at work in the process of sanctification. But one of you is primary, and the other one is secondary. And you're not primary. The, the Holy Spirit is the one who is primarily at work in the process of sanctification. But you and I have a real role to play in the process. It's a secondary role, but it's significant. Uh, let, me, let me give an illustration to help here. I've always found this helpful. I don't know where I first heard it. But if you compare it to evangelism, think about evangelism. Right? Evangelism. One person tells another person the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reason we tell people the message of the gospel is so that they'll hear it and believe it and repent of their sins and come to faith in Christ. We speak the gospel to others with the hope and prayer that our words will be used to bring people to faith in Christ. But none of us would claim credit for that, right? As if our words have the power to regenerate someone and bring them from death to life. No way, we don't think that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said. Unless one is born of the Spirit, 
they cannot enter the kingdom of God. The Spirit does that. He's primary. He's the one that regenerates hearts. But we still have a role to play. It's a secondary role, but it's a significant and meaningful role. We're commanded to speak, to go, to proclaim, to teach. And then God takes our words and makes them effective. The Holy Spirit is primary, but you and I have a real secondary role to play. And I believe it's the same when it comes to our sanctification. The Holy Spirit is primary. The Holy Spirit is the one who is at work in our lives. He gets the credit. He gets the glory. He's shaping us into the kind of people he wants us to be. But we have a role. It's a secondary role, but it's real. The Bible commands us to pursue holiness. Hebrews 12, right? It's one of the strongest commands. It says, lay aside every sin and every weight that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set before you. We're supposed to lay aside those sins and those weights. They cling to us. They wrap us up. They hinder us from running. And we are told to lay them aside. Galatians 5, Paul exhorts us, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We need to walk by the Spirit. Yes, it's His power in us, but we need to walk by the Spirit. Mark 8, Jesus commands us to deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow Jesus. And we need to act on those commands. All the while recognizing that it's the Holy Spirit who gives us the desire to act on those commands and empowers our efforts in order to make them effective. Now I know there are Christians who disagree with me on this point. Maybe, maybe even here now in this room, I know that there are Christians that take a more passive approach to sanctification. I know I've spoken with many, not necessarily here, but I've spoken to many Christians who say that we have no role to play in the process, that we should just let go and let God, let God do his work. We have nothing to do. For me personally, I have a very hard time seeing how that approach to sanctification could ever be squared with the words and the commands of Scripture, which is full of commands to us to pursue godliness. If our role in the process of sanctification is just sit back, take it easy, let God sanctify you, well then what's, there's no need for the commandment in Romans 6 and verse 12. When, when he, Paul commands, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. If we don't have a role to play, there's no reason to issue that command. Jesus himself said, remember, if your eye causes you to sin, rip it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. That doesn't sound to me like he's saying, well, just kick back and relax and let God do all the work of sanctification in your life. That sounds like Jesus wants us to be militantly, actively engaged in an all-out war against sin in our lives to the point where we would rather rip out an eye than sin. I don't think he could have been more clear or more graphic on this point. Sin is evil. When you spot sin in your life, it's a cancer. Cut it out, get rid of it, kill it, remove it, and pursue righteousness. All of that to say we do have a role to play, but our role is secondary, and we are responding to the prompting and empowering of the Holy Spirit. He gets the glory, we get the grace. Okay, but why do we have to put all this effort into putting sin to death if, according to Romans 6, 6, we're already dead? 
Romans 6, 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Sin's dead, so don't worry about it, right? How could something that's crucified and dead still reign over us? And that's why, if you, if you heard the sermon last week, I read that quote from J.C. Ryle in his book, Holiness, where he talks about, yeah, it's dead, it's crucified, but it's such a powerful enemy that it still sticks around and tempts us even after it's dead. Our old self was crucified, but it still wants to do damage to our souls. He no longer has dominion over us. He no longer has authority to make us obey him. We don't have to sin anymore. We've been set free. But that old corpse keeps walking around and trying to tempt us. And that's why it's hard. Because even though our allegiance is now given to a new master, the old one is not fully gone yet, even though he's dead. And that's exactly why Paul issues the command, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. Take sin seriously. Don't give yourself a free pass. Don't tell yourself, well, God's grace covers it all, so I don't need to worry about it. Well, that's true. God's grace does cover it all, and yet he still expects that we will take our sins seriously and pursue righteousness. All right, but it's one thing to issue the command, right? Don't let sin reign over you. What we all, I think, want to ask Paul is, well, but how? How do we not let sin reign over our mortal bodies? And thankfully, Paul answers that question in this text. His answer has two parts. It's sandwiched around the command. The first part has to do with our beliefs, what we believe. The second part has to do with our actions. Verse 11, right, a little bit earlier, verse 11 says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul has spent the last 10 verses insisting that this has, in fact, happened to all of us who are in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 11, he says, okay, now believe it. Consider it true. Consider yourself. I just told you that you are dead to sin. Now I want you to consider yourself dead to sin. In other words, I want you to actually believe what I just said. That's the first essential step that we need to take in fighting the battle against sin Really believe the truth that you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus your Lord. Think about it. Here's, here's an analogy. Imagine someone who is a slave in the United States in the year 1862. I know it's hard to believe and I know it's shameful. But in that year, in many states, it was legal to hold slaves, right? To, to the shame of those people. It was legal to hold slaves. But then, that was 1862. Then on January 1st, 1863, Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. In that proclamation, Abraham Lincoln said to the nation, the status of anyone who was living in slavery yesterday is now changed. Today, they're free. They're emancipated. They're no longer slaves. They might have been slaves yesterday. They're free today. As of that day, January 1, 1863, all the slaves were considered free men and women and children by law. So the proclamation changed the status of the slaves, but in order for the slaves to experience their new status, they needed to believe 
that they had been set free. They needed to consider themselves released and liberated. Otherwise, they'd continue to live like slaves, even though they're set free. And of course, many of the old slave owners didn't like that proclamation and wanted to keep their slaves under their dominion. So the newly freed slaves had to believe that they really had been set free, that they really do have the right to be free, and that belief then gave them courage to fight for their freedom. And it's similar with us. Our first step is not to let sin, our first step in not letting sin reign in our mortal bodies, not obeying its passions, is to believe that we have been set free from sin, to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You don't have to sin anymore. You have to believe that. You don't have to sin anymore if you have been saved by grace. Think of, think of that besetting sin that you hate and you're so sick of and has been with you for years, maybe your whole life. And you think, yeah, but I, I am enslaved to that one. No, you're not. You don't have to do that. You have been set free and you need to believe that. The power of the Spirit is more powerful than sin in your life. So believe that. Okay, and then what? Verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Well, what does that mean? Well, we all know what it means. It means that everybody obeys somebody. Either you serve sin or you serve the Savior. Every situation that you face, you are reporting for duty. You are presenting yourself to one or the other. Paul is saying, report to duty, present yourself to the Savior. Don't report for duty to sin, but present yourself to God. Do you notice there's not a third option there? Every square inch of your life, every moment of your life is claimed by God, counterclaimed by the devil. There is no neutral territory, and the war is on. So declare war on your sin by presenting yourself to God, reporting for duty, ready to receive your marching orders. Now what does that mean, though, really? What will this reporting for duty to God, what will it look like for you and I today, this week, the rest of our lives? Well, what Romans 6 says is that you and I need to present ourselves to the Lord, our whole selves to the Lord, and come to him and say, listen, I don't really know what I'm doing with this sanctification thing. But I am reporting to you for duty. So you tell me what to do. I don't know what I'm doing. You tell me what to do, and I'll do it. You tell me what to avoid, and I'll avoid it. And the Lord says, listen, Jason, you're not going to be able to do this halfway. I know you want to. I know you want to part follow me and part follow yourself. But I'm telling you, the life of discipleship is all or nothing. So if you are willing to commit to obeying all of my instructions for your life, then let's go. Right? And, and you say to me, ah, 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 Jesus would never say that. He was all about grace. He would never say that. No, I got that from Jesus. He's the one that said, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. He said that. It's all or nothing with him. He is Lord over all of our lives or none of it. He's, he's, he's Lord over our money. He's Lord over our job. He's Lord over our free time. He's Lord over our sexuality. He's Lord over all of it. 
or none of it. And if at this point you're looking for a novelty or a shortcut or some kind of like a, this is what I always w- hoped for, is just some sort of like sanctification jetpack. I throw it on my back and go. Listen, you're going to be disappointed if you're looking for that because there is no shortcut, there is no code word in order to experience sanctification. John Stott said it perfectly. John Stott, old pastor from the Church of England, he passed away not that long ago. Um, he was preaching at a church in Toronto. I, I, I love what he said to the, to the congregation there. He says this. He stands up in front of this big crowd and he says, you are here so that you can learn the secrets of Christian growth and living. Well, I'm here to tell you that there are no secrets. You read the Bible and you pray. Done. It's pretty simple, really. You want to put sin to death in your life? You want to grow in Christ-likeness? There's no shortcut. It begins with repentance, right? Justification. It begins with faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot pursue sanctification unless you have been justified, forgiven of your sins, declared righteous in God's eyes. Can't leap over that. Then you need to believe it. You need to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus your Lord. You have to believe that that decree has been issued, that you really have been set free from the dominion of sin. Then get a Bible and settle it once and for all in your heart that God knows what's best for you. Better than what you think you know about yourself. Decide now that your personal desires, which you know you can't trust all the way, will not trump God's authority in your life. In fact, decide right now that you're not even going to have that debate. When your desires and the word of God are in conflict, decide right now you're going with the word of God, no matter how much you want to do this other thing. And then read the Bible and do what it says. You say, wait a minute, that's legalism. What do you mean, get a Bible and do what it says? Haven't you heard the Bible is not a rule book, it's a love letter? Well, that's right. The Bible is not a rule book. The Bible is a love letter from God. That's right. It's a love letter from a God who loves us enough to issue commands to us in the love letter that he wrote. And these commands are for our own good. They're not a burden. These commands are an expression of his love for us because he knows what's best for us. That's not legalism. That's not legalism. As long as we don't confuse our sanctification with our justification. We don't obey God in order to earn salvation. We obey God in response to salvation. And then we just press on and keep growing. Keep growing. Keep pursuing righteousness. Keep putting sin to death. And when you fail, because sanctification is a process and we're not perfect and we all fail, well then repent Ask God to forgive you and remind yourself that you're saved by grace and not by works. And then the final thing to do is die. Die and go home and be with the Lord because then the battle will be over and you will be completely sanctified. You will be, the, the, the biblical word for that is glorified. Glorified in the presence of God forever. And sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. All right, well, we have one sermon left in this short little Romans 6 series, and it's going to be devoted next week, Lord willing, 
to answering this final question. We've talked a lot about obeying commandments this morning. Right? We had to. That's what the passage was about. That sort of sounds like law. What does it mean when Paul tells us that we're not under law, but under grace? And how does that relate to the commandments we're supposed to obey? Hopefully, we can answer that question next week. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you for loving us enough to care about our behavior, to care about our sin and our pursuit of righteousness. Thank you that you're not indifferent. Uh, indifferent parents are the worst parents. Thank you that you're not like that, that you're not indifferent, but you care. It matters to you how we behave and that you've, ins you've issued instructions and guidelines, house rules for your family. I thank you for that. It's grace and it's goodness. And I pray for each one of us that we would find joy in walking the path of obedience. And I pray for each one of us where we see evidence of sin in our life that we would take it seriously as you do and that we would fight against it and put it to death. I believe your word when it says that sin will not have dominion over us. I believe that means that none of us is imprisoned to the power of sin if we are united with Christ in his death and resurrection. And so I pray for each of us that you would grant us victory in these areas of struggle. In Christ's name, amen.